Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system, and L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show. I am Trent Clark, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneurs, international speaker, and longtime coach in professional baseball, coaching in three World Series. Today on the Winners Find a Way show is my guest, Mike Faith from Headshots, headsets.com. I said headshots. How about that? How you doing, Mike? Hey, good. It's good to be here, Trent. Thanks very much for having me. And we can call it headsets, headshots, whatever works. It's just hey, great. Yeah. Is that one of your miraculous headsets you're wearing right now, by the way? Is that uh, one of the, uh, we can buy that online for how much? You want to just plug right now? Like- <laughs> I didn't want to do any plugging, but um, but the, the, no, this is the dual ear lightness. So it covers both ears, blocks out some background noise. This is, I mean, I've got several different headsets, but I, I like this one if I know I'm going to be sitting down and just talking one-on-one with someone for a while. For sure. I appreciate Appreciate you coming on and talking on one-on-one for a while. So let's talk about if you're tuning into the show for the first time, the Winners Find a Way show is about finding a way. When faced with adversity, have you ever faced stiff adversity, felt like the losses are mounting and you need to find a better way? I think you came to the right place. Whether you are already an entrepreneur, athlete, business leader, working to start your journey today to being elite. This is the podcast and show for you today. Mike Faith joins us. And Mike, tell them where they can find you. Where, where can we find Mike Faith online? MikeFaith.com. That's yeah. my personal website. There's not a lot of, lot of activity there. It's not a hugely followed website, but the company that I found is, is Headsets.com. And uh, that's probably more useful to most people. Perfect. Let me talk about a few key highlights. You're on LinkedIn. <laughs> they can find you there. And that's good. So a few highlights I jotted down about your story, right? You left England, your native homeland, when you were 27 in search of better weather. I love that. Better wealth opportunities and getting away from the British tendency to not let new ideas and new leaders break out of the mold easily. I love that. So you left school at 15, right? No business, no training, no education. And it's like, oh, hey, you know, I don't know anybody with an MBA at 15, right? Entrepreneurship was your fit. I mean, that just seemed to land for you. And you didn't make the best employee, if that's fair, right? So you've been at this head at the helm of this now 23 years. Tell me how you got started. How's that going today? Like what's happened? Give us a little timeline of those 23 years and how effective. Listen, we know, and I don't know the exact stat, but I think it's four out of five companies do not make it to five years, right? This is pretty staggering, yeah. very sustainable, headsets.com. It is, and uh, thank you. And I mean, gosh, I, I could talk for hours on things we've done and what we've learned and, and, and what happened on the journey. So I'll try and condense down, condense it down for you, Trent. And you know, I, was, I was using headsets in another business I was running back in 1997. 
and they weren't very good. They kind of sucked, actually. The returns policy was bad and you couldn't get hold of anyone. And, and based on you know my experience, data point of one, which is usually all I need is one data point to make major life decisions. I, um, I thought, all right, there's a market here. So I started importing and selling telephone headsets. And then uh, we didn't have the domain. The domain came later. It's the mm. headsets.com domain. We were originally headset discounters. Okay. And uh, we got it up to about $3 million a year in sales, but not really making any profit. I kind of looked hard at what was going on and kind of read a few different business books. Uh, thought, okay, we need to change our strategy. So we went out and found the owners of the domain headsets.com and did a deal with them. They were using it, but they were using it in a much smaller way than, than what our vision was and took the domain on and built a website. Because we didn't have a website to start with. This was 1997. And then we never really looked back. You know, we've uh, yeah. we've grown the company and we've been through many ups, downs, trials, tribulations, different phases. But I never thought I'd be in the same business 23 years. And here I am. And I'm in for the next 23 years as well, if I uh, if I last that long, because I'm damn enjoying it. Yeah, okay, good. Now, you started with the we was four of you, right? No, I, I've had different people involved in the business over time, but I've got some shareholders. Yep. Uh, so there was a call coming in there. So yep. I've got some shareholders in the business as well. And then I've got two longtime people in the business that I consider my business partners. But, you know, to some extent, some of my team members, a lot of my team members have been around over 10 years. And I really think of longer term team members as, as business partners. And it's not really just an employee at that stage. The relationship okay. changes. I like that. Now, most people don't know that Tony Hasai of Zappos, for late the late Tony Hasai, unfortunately, original investor with you. Yeah, he was. Uh, Tony Shea and I met in 1999. He was in San Francisco, which is where I was at the time. Yeah. And we met and talked headsets and business and became one of the original investors in the company. And then just for the fun of the story, if I can, Trent, about six months after he invested, we had breakfast one day and he said, Mike, I'm, I'm doing this shoe company if you want to invest in that. And I remember leaning over the table and looking at him and saying, Tony, it's never going to work. Just don't do it, man. Just shows how wrong we could all be. <laughs> There's a humbling moment, right? I love that. That's so just real, right? Like, like who's thinking? I mean, what year was that? 98? Like, who's thinking, yeah, this is a good idea. Online shoe sales. No one's ever seen them. Can't try them on. Tony, are you bonkers? You know, like, what are you thinking, right? And man, I know, I'll bet I need more than two hands to count people that I know that have toured his facility in Las Vegas because they want to see how it works, right? And his, and their tours are incredibly well-known, right? And I mean, not just in the business, but it is a whole movement. And my wife is a, a, a loyalist, right? Like she's the one who orders four boxes and sends two back, right? Tony, Tony and his group have always been so good in that way and uh, tragic, gone so early. But let's, let's talk about, yeah, go ahead and tell me about the exit strategy for uh, headsets.com. Yeah, my exit, when people ask that, I mean, I, it's, can I say it a little bit tongue in cheek, but I say my exit strategy is death because um, why would I want to sell it before then? And a lot of entrepreneurs that they want to sell their business and I've never really understood that. I mean, I'm yeah. an entrepreneur because I enjoy it. I like what I do. I work with some great people. Mm -hmm. It's a sustainable business that's got a lot of potential left in it. Uh, I enjoy it every day. I work hard. I don't work as hard as I used to, I must admit, Trent. As an early an entrepreneur, you work 12, <laughs> oh, 14, 16, 18-hour days. Now I'm like, as I'm getting a little bit older, I'm like, 
eight's enough for me normally. I can do nine <laughs> yeah, or ten, yeah. but what I do if I sold it, I'd, I'd have a lot of money and a lot of time. And I think those are very dangerous for entrepreneurs mm. because entrepreneurs like to be busy. And I think when they're not busy, they can suffer. And when they've got a lot of money, things can go the wrong way. So I like where I am at the moment and what I'm doing. I've got no intention to change the business or the ownership. Fabulous insight. I mean, it's fabulous, like not only in the present, but really foresight too. And I agree with you. You know, I think those are two various combinations, right? We always say, what's the old adage? I lands like, we're just asking for trouble, right? So it's not good, but you have a passion. A couple of things, a couple of things you're passionate about. You got this great business, very sustainable. It's a very interesting perspective that you say that. And, I, and one of the things I like that you just mentioned that I think is one of the biggest challenges right now in social media and the population is, is, hey, they're telling these kids, go be an entrepreneur. It's easy. Go do a website. You won't have to work hard. Hey, have you read the four-hour work week? That's all you got to do. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. So when you describe those early days of those 16 hours, like, I don't even know those are so early for me. Those are still grinding away, right? And 16 hours, that's not uncommon. Weekends, that's not uncommon. And I think they're duping some of our youth to think like, oh, this is going to be so simple. And they don't know what they're in for. I totally agree, Trent. I think it is a little bit misguided because very few entrepreneurs that I know have just got lucky. I mean, we get lucky, but we get lucky and you add that into the hard work. And that's what creates, you know, this formula for success that doesn't always happen anyway for many of us. And if I look back, I do consider, and I worked really hard, but I got very lucky as well. And I think that's a, a big component, but I call him a young kid that works for me now. He's 23 years old and I shouldn't call him that. Yeah. But um, he was for a while not working that much this is before he came onto our company because he was making money on crypto and he thought that's how he'd yeah. make money for his life. And the crypto crash, crypto ups and downs that have come recently have actually been really good for him to think, okay, crypto, isn't, uh, I sit there and I just make money all my life. I, I might make some more, I might lose some. And it's led him to, to realize that he's got to do the hard work, which I think is a good lesson and a good ethic for us all to have. Oh, that's really good. And I like how you talk about that, right? Because um, we do need some luck, right? We do need some things to go our way. But I do believe that hard work creates a lot of opportunity. Some people call it luck, right? But I often uh, think about people maybe hearing about headsets.com on this show for the first time. And I'm like, oh yeah, welcome to Mike Faith. He's a 23 overnight sensation, 23 years, really. It's not like easy, right? Yeah. So I always love that about the work that goes in. One of the one of your obsessions is something that I like as well. Not nearly as good as you, but chess. You're a chess man. I played chess online for maybe an hour or maybe sometimes two hours every, every day. And uh, I really enjoy it. And I think it's the perfect mix of kind of strategy and gamesmanship and competitiveness. And it's really a game without luck. There's, you know, no dice in chess. It's yeah. really about you're really responsible just for the moves that you make and competing against your opponent's moves or your opponent's mistakes. It's yeah. a fascinating game. Talk about, talk about like those three big lessons. The three big lessons of chess, because there are things that I think adapt and apply to a lot of things in life, right? But what are the three big lessons, your big takeaways from chess? I might struggle with that one, Trent. I like what you said about responsibility, right? Like, hey, like I got to make the move. I'm the only one who's got to own it, right? It's mine. This is a chance. This is strategy and skill. It's not like, oh, I got lucky. Look at that. I just happened. Oh, that's, is that checkmate? Whoops. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. Not happening. Right. What else did you tell me? Yeah. And I'm just thinking of that now you said it because I answered that without realizing what I was saying. Yeah. It, 
it's responsibility for, for your own actions when you play chess. And the outcome is really just down to, you know, how well you play and how well the other person plays. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other components is it's really about who makes mistakes, whether you mm. make mistakes or whether the opponent makes mistakes. And that's really where you go wrong. If you play a clean game, really can come down to the end with, you know, a stalemate. And then um, I don't know what the third one was I said, but as I'm thinking of it, the, the third one I'm thinking right now is that you have to keep practicing to get better and you have to keep learning. There's no ultimate end game, I think, in chess. I mean, maybe if you're if you win the world championship, but short of that, I mean, you can always keep getting better. And nowadays a computer can beat you still. So um, I I guess you can still get better even if you're the world champion. So continuous improvement, always going to happen. And I I love the idea as a leader. Think about like a leader. We, We come up with ideas, we innovate, and we know well the intended consequence. My intended consequence is to, you know, capture your king, right? Like that's it. That's that's the game. But what I so I immediately make a move to put myself in position to do it with no consideration of your bishop there that's about to kill me, right? Take my queen, right? But but my intended consequence is real, but my unintended consequence, if not considered, becomes major challenges, right? So it is, I love the game of strategy and thoughtfulness and how it applies to how we're thinking. It does keep us sharp. It keeps us sharp. I like also uh, the mental acuity. And I think that people gain over time of keeping their mind sharp. And I think when we talk about conditioning, there is physical conditioning, but there is mental and moral conditioning involved too. And this is one that I think really meets those two very well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you. I think you thought about chess deeper than I have. So I'm going to go here and rethink the game and <laughs> yeah. how I play it. It's, well. it's funny. I mean, I, I kind of play chess because I enjoy it. It's one of my things that is just a fun thing for me. So I've got no ambition to be world champion. I enjoy getting better, but it, it's just a fun kind of relax and zone out for me. And so I guess I'm not serious, even though I play an hour or two a day. That's cool. Well, the strategy is big and I love it. So let's, let's talk about something else people, most people don't know about you. And we're going to name drop here a little bit. All right, just a little bit, is you host a lot of dinners and you host author dinners. Tell us what that means. When I read a book or, or if there's just someone that I know or want to meet, I'll, um, I'll invite them to a dinner or, or a talk and, and raise money for, for their cause. So I started this first in 2006 with Richard Branson, had him to a dinner in San Francisco. He was coming into San Francisco. So I arranged the dinner on the same night and got together some friends and gathered some, some pretty sizable donations for, um, for his nonprofit. And I thought I like this idea. So I, I've done it since on occasions. And I kind of transitioned more recently just before COVID to doing talks at my condo with drinks rather than a dinner, just because then I can get more people in dinner table. And recently um, interviewed uh, Malcolm Gladwell and uh, Ryan Holiday. And I've got several more coming up kind of post-COVID, but I've put it on hold for a little bit. But I just find it a fun way to meet interesting people, gather friends together and do a little bit of good for a nonprofit. That's awesome. I think it's a great cause, right? And uh, man, I'm just, I'm gunning to make that dinner one day. That's all. I'm just gunning to, you know, either way, either be the author or make the invite list one day, right? Because, man, that's it, it would be like great a to star, have you, man, right? <laughs> Can I ask you, Mike, you and I have been friends for a while. We've known each other probably four or five years. I ask you, hey, Mike, come on my show. We're going to talk about winners find a way. We're going to talk about some hard things. All right. So, Mike, you and I have known each other for five or six years and both entrepreneurs. We met actually an entrepreneur function. And tell me why you come on a show like this. I asked you as a friend to come, but you know, we talk about winners find a way. Going to talk about some challenging things along the way. Why do you do that? I think because you asked. I mean, one of the things I've found in, in business is if people ask you to do things, 
entrepreneurs will often do it. And if you ask for help from someone, they'll usually give it. You know, I think it's far, entrepreneurs are far more, I don't know if it's giving and generous or if it's just they can't help saying yes or they're addicted to activity. Maybe it's all of those, but I've asked people to be on my board before and people say yes, and I very rarely get declined. So I think it's just an entrepreneurial inclination to take action and say yes to things. Good. Well, I'm glad you said yes. Let's talk about young Mike quickly. Let's talk about young Mike. I mean, you leave school 15 years old. Like, is there a time, like, can you tell me the most impactful pivot point you had as a kid? Did you know you were destined to run a multi-million dollar company and do all these things in the States? Did you know that when you were 14, 15 years old? Or was there a moment that said, hey, this is going to set me on to where I got to go and I've got to do something different? I think some of it was probably in me, in my nature, Trent, and I'm not sure how or where that came from, but I always kind of uh, viewed, let me use that word, that I would be in business. I think it was a progression of my thinking over the years. I think at, at 12, I was running a tuck shop at school. I was taking in you know, the, the, the candy store. I was buying candy and taking it in and selling it. So I always had this kind of tendency, these sort of things. But I would like to add, there's a funny story about living in America. I can remember as a kid, perhaps I was five or six, I was fascinated by earthquakes. And I said to the teacher in class one day at school, if they have earthquakes in San Francisco, why do people live there? The teacher said, if you ever go there one day, you'll know why. And I ended up living in San Francisco. That was my first 25 years in the States. So was that destiny manifesting itself? Was it just one of those weird coincidences in life? I'm not entirely sure. So even coming to America was kind of ended up not being a big surprise when I think about my life story and, and how things progressed. Yeah. Were you there for the big earthquake, the Oakland, you know, during the series, during the World Series? Were you there for the bit when the bridge collapsed? No, I just missed it. I came in late 1991. Okay, and wow. That, that was in 89. That was the earth, big earthquake. So there was still some resulting of that, like still kind of oh, yeah. present. Did, yes, did that freak was. you out? Like, did that freak you out as a guy going, we're worried about these things when I was a kid. Now it's like, <laughs> this, this could really happen because it did. It did. I was, earthquakes have always been on my mind. They've been a fascination for me. And there I was living in San Francisco and it was always on the back of my mind. All right, let's move to the winner's find a way. Let's, I love the quote by, Chris McChesney and Sean Covey in their book, The Four Disciplines of Execution, they said winners, when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. Yeah. Like coming from a sports background from my life, this has been natural, right? Hey, we're down 5-1. Guess what? We got to do something different. (laughs) This isn't working, right? Like something's got to change. And there's elementary KPIs right now that say we are not winning, right? It is evident we are losing. So talk to me about a bit of your background that allowed you to overcome and become one of the percent in business and life. When you were up against it, losing, found a way to come back and win, down but not out. Tell me an experience that you had in that category. Yeah, I think there's there's variations on that that happen every day. I mean, every day in business, there's there's disappointments, there's things that don't work. And then there's there's bigger ones that happen, you know, every month and every year. And and some are kind of major that happen, you know, a few times in in your life. So I I think there's a whole range of them. And part of the mindset that I think I've adopted and, and perhaps many entrepreneurs have adopted and maybe it was more natural in some for me i've had to kind of practice it and learn it is to accept problems and misses and then just carry on and just keep walking and just walk straight on through it because it happens you know there's things that just don't go right and go wrong and go wrong even when it's unfair and they shouldn't Mm -hmm. and you have to pick yourself up and and move beyond it and um you know i think you know, one of the biggest and early ones for me, Trent, when I was 21, I went 
bust and I just didn't really, you know, manage a lot of the finances for a business that I was running well. And I got hit by surprise when interest rates in the UK went from 10% to 15% in the same day. Imagine that. They were already at 10 and they went to yeah. 12 in the morning and then went to 15 in the afternoon. This was when oh. there was a run on sterling and they were trying to defend the pound and it put me out completely. And that was tough to deal with. But I think there's nothing like a good bankruptcy or two to make someone really understand how to get things right. So there was a famous <laughs> phrase or, or saying by uh, I read in a book called Tough Times Never Last, But Tough People Do. Yeah, I remember that book. Uh, Robert Schuler. And I think it said, in every problem or in every adversity, the seed is sown for yet a greater triumph. Mm. And I kind of repeat that to myself a lot. When something's not working right, when something doesn't feel right, when something goes terribly wrong, I'll end up saying, no matter how bad this is, the seed is being sown for a greater triumph here. And I found that really helpful. You know, I'm not a religious person, but I find that is one of the things, and I've got various kind of mantras or things that I do that are, are perhaps might come across as spiritual in nature, that I find get me through things and help me stay sane. Well, I mean, Robert Schuler, yeah, you could say uh, not religious, but for people who don't know Robert Schuler, he was a Los Angeles, or yeah, Los Angeles based area, Anaheim, Orange County, who and the Crystal Cathedral, longtime TV pastor, right? And he wrote some yeah. great books. And I, I can remember seeing that book when I was probably, you know, 12 years old or 15 years old, my mother's uh, work desk, right? Like, and I thought, man, like, what does that mean? Like, Tough times don't last. Tough people do. You know, I remember thinking about that. And I have never actually read the book. So that's very cool. What's the superpower that separates you from others catapults you to the 1%? What do you think? I mean, you know a lot of, lot, a lot of chaps like yourself, right? You know a lot of folks. So tell me, what do you think's different? What do you think said like your determination? What separated you? I mean, 21, you take a hit, you're not down, you don't stay down. Why is it yeah. different? Well, you know, I think part of it might be is sometimes oblivious to problems or I don't always see them. And it's actually a kind of like a blind spot I've got. And because I've got that blind spot, I carry on going. My kind of risk reward ratio says, this is good to keep going still. And maybe it's not, and maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> But because I don't see it in the same way that other people do, then uh, I, I see the possibility and the opportunity more than the problem or the or the area that's not working for me. You know, or per perhaps to put it another way, the um, I guess I've always got a vision about what's coming next and where I want it to be. So I look at what I want the future to be rather than perhaps statistically how the future really is like that that's so, good and i don't know if this is a positive thing i mean it's happily worked out well for me in my life trent but it also means that perhaps i failed to see many of the problems that were staring me in the face that other people would have rightfully seen so it's kind of like it's a disability that perhaps works in my favor well i think i don't know about the disability but it's interesting though mike you know when you think about it it is a superpower because i think you you know we know it right we talk about you know twain wrote about it you know we spend 90 percent of our world you know, time worried about things that never happen. And so we're, we're so focused on the problems and the consequences of those challenges that, so for me, 
when I hear that, I hear you saying, I see the opportunity is greater than the risk of the problem. Yes. If you have a vision to understand that. And I think Tony had that, right? Tony, and listen, Tony's probably thanking his lucky stars. Like he didn't listen to you, <laughs> like, right? Like, cause you said that's not going to work, right? Like, I mean, you're his friend, you're a trusted advisor. He believes in you. You're doing something good with your company at that time. And so why wouldn't he have? So it has merit. It's not like he just said, ah, Mike doesn't know. I mean, part of that, but yet he said, in maybe your same space, right? Is he saw greater opportunity than maybe the challenge or risk of the problem. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Thank you for listening to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast. Trent, together with the leaders who shared their learning and experiences through this show, are grateful for allowing them to help and support you on your journey to becoming your best. Write a review, rate us five stars, and share this episode to your network.